Hi, welcome to the Grace Life Podcast. In churches, the Bible is taught as truth and as a guide for life. Matter of fact, much of the time, this Word of God is revered as flawless and perfect. But we may ask ourselves, how can that be true, given what we've learned and discovered about this world? Questions come to mind like, hasn't the Bible been refuted by science? Is the Bible supported by anything in history? And how can it be God's Word if sinful men wrote it? As believers, we must be able to trust God's Word, if that's what it is. This series is about answering the tough questions so that we can find out, is it possible to have faith in God without checking our brains at the door? Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? It is so good to see you and be worshiping with you. Glad to have you here, especially if you're a guest. I want to welcome you. Glad to have you here as well. Uh, if you are here as a guest, then I uh, want to let you know we are actually in a series today as part two of a series we're doing called The Bible. And uh, what we're trying to do is look at some of the difficulties uh, that we come across sometimes in answering some questions about what the Bible says about things and uh, in terms of science and history and We've decided we want to make sure this this series is about giving you intellectually honest answers to some of those challenges. And uh, so this is part two. We began last week. If you've missed part one, you are going to definitely want to go get that. It's on our website or on our app. Uh, but let me introduce, first of all, uh, Daryl, who was sitting beside me. When we decided we were going to do this series, we wanted to do it really, really well. We didn't want to just say, well, the Bible says so, so just believe it and don't ask questions. Uh, we, we wanted to make sure that we really did do some research and we brought academic uh, evidence and, and truth and observation of what's going on in our world, both scientifically and historically. So when I, I spoke to Daryl uh, about a totally different topic uh, uh, over a year ago, I found out something about him I didn't know, and that's that he had spent over 40 years in the scientific field as an engineer and a scientist, actually retired from his final position as chief science officer there. So he said, I'll be happy to help you do the research. And uh, as he agreed to do the research and we began talking more, I figured out very quickly this was going to go much better as a conversation. So would you guys help me welcome Daryl Mordente to the stage today? So we're, we're going to do these first two parts together, and then we'll change topics a little bit next week. Uh, so when we began last week, we were in a different area of science than we're going to be today. Last week, we were in the biological world. We're going to change in a minute and talk about something else. Uh, but here's the thing. And when you talk about faith and the Bible and people believe there's this choice, you have to make a choice between intelligence or faith. You somehow can't do both because we've been given an idea. Uh, that is actually not correct, uh, that, that the, the Bible stands in opposition to some scientific truth that's been discovered. And there are two major points that come out. One of them is biological, and uh, we looked at that last week, and one of them is in another area. So last week we looked at the, the question of how did biological life come to be, because if you go and read the Bible, it says that God made us. And that we haven't really been here very long, and God is the origin of all biological creation. But there is a very prominent scientific theory uh, that says that we came about by chance over a long period of time. Again, if you missed part one, you're going to want to go get that because we looked at some actual scientific evidence that you are never going to see or hear in your biology class, either in high school or in college. Uh, so today we're going to shift away from how does biological life come to be, uh, but to another great 
controversy with the Bible, and that is how did the universe come to be? How did we get here? Uh, Because if you look at the Bible, it leaves absolutely no room for debate to answer that question. Uh, the, The Bible is emphatically clear, God created everything we have, and he did it out of nothing, which is a supernatural act. Uh, I'm just going to show you this from the very first sentence of the Bible all the way to the end. Don't worry, I'm not going to read every one of those scriptures because that would take the whole time, but I'm just going to kind of give you the idea. Genesis 1-1 starts like this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, if God created the heavens and the earth, there's, there's no room for debate. Uh, jump forward to Hebrews. It says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then all the way to the end, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. So here's the point. Uh, A lot of us are led to believe that if we're going to agree with what the Bible says, because it it just goes throughout scripture, those aren't the only three places, uh, that we're left to make a choice that we either can choose the Bible or we can choose science. And uh, part of that divide, so to speak, is really, well, the whole thing is really a myth, isn't it, Daryl? It is. And uh, some of it comes from some of these stories that we've been told one side of the story or half of the story or a certain perspective. And so actually there are two very famous stories where scientific research began and uh, people came up with some true scientific answers and it looks from the outside, the way we're told the stories, that the church was against science, the church condemned those scientists how about you give us the, the real lowdown on those two stories? Yeah. <clears throat> I'll give you two stories, and they, and they reflect different aspects of that question. Um, <clears throat> the first one would be the story of Copernicus, who was a monk, Catholic monk, and an astronomer. And uh, he was one of the first folks to come up with and publish uh, the idea that uh, it, the Earth was actually orbiting around the sun, uh, the Earth and the planets, uh, rather than the sun going around the Earth as... Most people and most scientists in his day believed. Uh, he was um, uh, condemned by Martin Luther, called a heretic, for suggesting such a thing, uh, because clearly uh, in Joshua 10, uh, verse 12, it says uh, at that time, or it appears to say, at that time uh, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And, uh, and this is what uh, Martin Luther used to say that uh, Copernicus could not possibly be correct. Because Scripture just because said scripture the sun is the one doing the moving. Appeared to say that the sun was going around. And, and so just to make sure everybody understands, Martin Luther was the leader of the Protestant Reformation. So if there were two great religious leaders... The two greatest religious leaders on the earth at the time would have been Martin Luther and the Pope. So uh, Copernicus ran into one of those great leaders and was condemned as a heretic by him because Martin Luther says, look, read the Bible. The sun is the one that does the moving. And it would go to make sense with our thinking if we're God's prized creation that we would be at the center of everything, right? That was the thing. Okay, so here's the problem, though. What Martin Luther was doing is something that still happens today, and that the reason we're talking about it today is because you need to understand sometimes when somebody looks at you and says, your Bible is in error, your Bible is wrong, is because they are putting a literal meaning on something that was not meant to be literal. 
There's a lot of figurative language in the Bible. The Bible is figurative. The Bible has prophecy. The Bible has history. There are all sorts of different things in the Bible. We have to know which one we're reading. There's also a a big fancy word we use in theology uh, school called anthropomorphic. And that is the word for God portraying himself in man terms. And so you'll see this in Scripture says that the hand of the Lord is upon me. But we know God doesn't have a hand because God is spirit and God is everywhere. And so what happens is sometimes people will read something literally, and it's not meant to be that way, and they'll say, therefore, the Bible is wrong. Clearly, the Bible is wrong because it says the sun moves, and we know the sun doesn't move. Well, uh, here's a perfect example for us today that we would all understand. Let's say that everybody here wanted to go on a trip with Daryl and myself, and so we all agree together at the parking lot at the church at 8 a.m., and and we get ready to go. And and surprisingly, by some miracle, everybody's here at 8 a.m., and so I say, all right, let's hit the road. And so we all get in our cars, we go somewhere, when we get there, um, uh, the person says, wow, you guys are all here on time, it's amazing, you made really good time. And, and we said, yeah, well, we hit the road right at 8 o'clock. And, and let's say there's somebody there who doesn't like us. And they said, what do you mean you hit the road at 8 o'clock? Yeah, yeah really, we, we hit the road at 8 o'clock. And, and so, so you're telling me you went out, you knelt down on the asphalt, and you slapped the road at 8 a.m. Well, no, no, we didn't do that. You're a liar then. So uh, again, they're, they're putting a literal meaning on figurative language. And that happens a lot today uh, when atheists want to point holes at Scripture. They are misunderstanding or intentionally just misusing it. Okay, so that's Copernicus getting in trouble with one of the two great leaders. Somebody else got in trouble with the other great leader. Yes, and I'd just like to point out those that would attack the church for for this uh, Bible being obviously wrong and this Joshua would never think of uh, saying that a uh, meteorologist reporting the news and talking about sunrise and sunset was scientifically incorrect. Yeah, because every single day, if we want to know, we can go to scientifically based websites Absolutely. and look up the sunset and the sunrise yes. for the day. Right, and, sun, and, and scientifically trained meteorologists will tell you about the sunrise and the sunset. Exactly. It's a common uh, figurative language that's used today. Nobody thinks it bad or anything. So yeah, that'll take us to the Galileo story. Uh, Galileo's story is often portrayed as a conflict between the scientist and the, and the church, and uh, the church condemning these poor scientists. And uh, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about the whole story uh, on that. Uh, Galileo lived in the, uh, around the 1600. Uh, he was a very uh, excellent scientist. He was also uh, a very devout um, Catholic. And um, uh, he first proposed an idea, the same idea that Copernicus did of the uh, Earth and planets orbiting the sun, uh, but he had no uh, data to support that, and he, neither did he have any reasons to support it. Um, and so uh, he was asked, uh, he went, he went to, co- to the courts, he had some friends in high places, some cardinals, uh, and some of these men were, these cardinals were also uh, astronomers themselves. And they told uh, Galileo, gee, we'd really like you not to be pushing this theory because we happen to be in the middle of a Protestant revolution, (laughs) reformation. They're in the middle of a a lot of people leaving the church and and all kinds of problems already. All kinds of of different interpretations, all kinds of different interpretations of the Bible had nothing to do with with science. And And they said, listen, you have no reason to explain this. Uh, So rather than making a big issue out of this, we'd rather you just not make a big issue out of it. In fact, the reason that, uh, that Galileo gave to prove that the earth uh, went around the sun was tides. 
ocean tides, right. which we know today is not right. absolutely wrong. It's yeah. the moon that affects that, not has anything Right to do answer, with wrong reason. That's exactly right. Right answer, wrong reason. And that's what they said. You, you don't have a good explanation. Please just keep it to yourself. So Galileo goes off and he keeps it for, to himself for a while. But Galileo was not known as the most humble of Christian men in his <laughs> life. He was a bit arrogant at times. And he made a very uh, uh, bad mistake. And his mistake was after a few years he decided he wanted to publish his theory again. And the way he chose to do that was not in the normal language of uh, scientists that day, uh, trained individuals, they, they wrote in Latin in that time frame. And uh, he chose instead to write in the, in the Italian vernacular, the, the common everyday language right. of, of, the, of the Italians. And <clears throat> he wrote a debate, a little talk among three characters in this book. And, and the smart one is pushing the earth goes around the sun. And the dumb one, whose name was Simplicio, which is another term for buffoon, yeah. idiot, idiot, whatever. Yeah. Uh, he was pushing the idea that no, it was the sun that goes around the earth. And to make matters worse, what Galileo did was he took a quote from the Pope who spoke on this idea, and he put it in the mouth of Simplicio <laughs> the buffoon. That went over well, I assume. That everyone recognized. Everyone recognized that we're reading this book. And that was not looked at very kindly by the Pope, it was not, who, was one, who was a friend of Galileo. And, uh, and so as a result of that, Galileo was called in uh, he spent all of one day in prison. He was never tortured or any, anything like that. Um, and he spent the rest of his life under house arrest, house which was, arrest. He was living with arrest. his rich friends. Yes, yeah. yes, essentially. So that, that's the real whole story, and you won't hear that story in, but in most of the recount. When we hear that story, I remember hearing it growing up, we are told that a scientist made an accurate discovery that the sun is at the center, the church condemned it, and so we get the idea that the church and the Bible, which says that the sun moves, they're just opposed, and we have to choose intelligence or faith. Turns out we weren't told the whole story, right. and there really is no conflict at all. And so as no. we saw last week, there's no conflict in biology. Today we're going to see there really is no conflict in another field of science. What is that? Okay. Uh, just, let me just finish this just a little bit more just to prove the point you just made, and, <clears throat> and that is... Uh, there is no conflict between the, the church and science uh, because you've got, for example, Kepler, who we just talked about last week. Mm -hmm. He was an um, astronomer uh, around the same time as Galileo, and he took some very accurate uh, astronomical data uh, to show that it was the planets that were orbiting the uh, sun. Uh, not only did he uh, make that statement, but he also defined three laws of orbital mechanics that we, we talk about today and still use today. Uh, and uh, at the same time, he was an extremely strong Christian. He saw no conflict in his religious beliefs. And last week we quoted one of his prayers uh, that he wrote into one of his notebooks right. uh, that uh, just substantiated that. But uh, to get to what you were just talking about, we're gonna go into another area. We discussed biology last uh, time. This time we're gonna get into the area of astrophysics or the study of the universe and how it came to be. Woo, astrophysics. Come on, who woke up today and said, I'm going to astrophysics class and I'm excited about it? <clears throat> no, we, no, we, we had more last time. Yeah, we had five in the other service. Yeah, we only got one in this one. Okay, well, I'll have to work extra hard on this okay. one. Okay, but we're gonna so, try to keep your attention here. This is gonna be good. Gonna do, all right, so uh, before we get into it, I wanna talk about uh, something we, we talked about last week. Just remind everybody, uh, last week we talked about 
science answers the question of how things work, how the natural world works, the laws that God put into existence. That's what science is looking to, to figure out, how it works. Science does not answer the question why, why it works the way it does. The why question is really a philosophical or religious uh, question. Right. Okay, so you have, you have that that you want to deal with. When I took my first physics class uh, many years ago, uh, first day of the class, the professor made it very clear, I'm gonna teach you how the universe works. We're not gonna address the why question. That's what we're, gonna, that's what we're here for, teach you how, so we right. learn the laws of physics. Um, the other uh, concept I wanna mention in here is something called the God of the gaps, which we'll hear a little bit more later on. The God of the gaps, it's a phrase that you'll hear periodically if you get into this issue of religion and, uh, and science uh, alleged right. conflict. Um, what that God of the gaps is referring to has very much to do with what science is, is trying to do. Science is trying to figure out the how. At times, science has a gap in its understanding. And uh, 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 Christians uh, and, and even Orthodox Jews may leap in very quickly and say, oh, well, God, God is the reason why that occurs. Yes, and, we put God in a gap. Yes, we put God in a gap of, of scientific understanding. And what's happening is one's asking a how question and the other one's ask, it was answering with a why answer. It's God who did it. Um, and uh, an example of that would be uh, the moon. The moon, uh, we see the moon, but we all, have you ever noticed you only see the same side of the moon? You never see the back side of the moon. Why is that? I mean, the moon's going around. That means the moon is turning so that we only see that one side. Why is that? Uh, 300 years ago or so, if you were asked that question, uh, a uh, Christian would have told you, well, because God made it that way. And they would be correct in answering a why question. Uh, but scientists have since answered the how question. They've taken the natural laws uh, that Newton, Isaac Newton developed that we talked about last week, Isaac Newton's the law of gravity and uh, the laws of motion that he developed and can show you why the moon turns by natural law, the natural laws that God put into place. Right. That's why the why, question, why the why answer is appropriate, but not for a scientist who's looking for the how, how does right. it really work. So I want, I want you just to keep that in mind, and that's where the term God of the gaps comes from. Okay. Um, that's what it means. So we're going to talk about the history of uh, astrophysics real quick, the, the understanding of the, of the cosmos, how it came into existence, the universe. And one of the things I hope you'll recognize as you're seeing this is you're going to see this tendency that when it looks like God is an answer, there's a fleeing away from there. And it starts with Einstein. When Einstein developed his uh, general theory of relativity, he, had, he, he, he developed the, the uh, mathematics associated with that. There was a particular term that he could have chosen a value for, and had he chosen a particular value for it, it would have suggested a beginning, and a beginning would have suggested a creator. So instead of, so what he changed the value be, to make it a universe that had existed for all eternity, so there was no beginning. He did that in defiance of the second law of thermodynamics, which he ignored, by the way, because that second law of thermodynamics would have told you that the universe could not have been here for forever. But he ignored that, and he chose his value that he wanted to do for whatever reasons. He was avoiding the the uh, beginning, the, the issue of the beginning. Uh, very shortly after that, um, uh, Hubble, who was a uh, astronomer, and he is the guy that uh, we have named the Hubble Telescope after because of the work that he did, 
uh, simultaneously with a, an, an, a, a, with a uh, Belgian uh, priest, astrophysicist, studying science, having no conflict with his religious mm -hmm. beliefs. Uh, simultaneously, he and Hubble uh, look at the astronomical data, and what it's telling them is that the galaxies are all moving away from us. No matter which direction we're looking at, they're all moving away. First of all, they're not static. They're not just sitting there. They're moving away from us. And that, when you take that and explore that a little bit more, uh, what that's suggesting is that the universe is expanding out, and no matter where you look, everything's moving away. So it's like a big balloon growing up larger and larger. And so uh, they say, well, if you go backwards in time, you would see that that thing must have uh, had a beginning. And so Einstein looked at that, took, uh, talked to the uh, Jesuit, uh, uh, the, the Catholic uh, Belgian priest, astro astrophysicist, and uh, talked him into going to see Hubble, and, and, and Einstein went, and he said, you're right, the universe had a beginning. This is the, he's alleged to have said, this is the greatest blunder of my career. Wow. But he accepted it. So um, uh, at any rate, this, this idea of a beginning, uh, as I said, it really pointed to uh, a, uh, a beginning, but it points to a, be, uh, to a creator. And there was an atheist uh, physicist at the time this was first being uh, uh, revealed in the scientific literature, and he didn't like that idea. He didn't like the idea of a creator because he was an atheist. And so he, uh, when it was first coming out, uh, the theory, uh, he said, oh, what is this Big Bang theory? <laughs> and Big Bang is something that in, in some Christians take offense to, the idea of a Big Bang. They, they, they don't like that phrase. But I'm here to tell you that Christians should embrace the theory that is now under the umbrella of Big Bang. They should embrace it because it is scientific evidence of the creation of the universe. Now, I have to make sure everybody here knows when you sat in my office and told me that we should embrace the Big Bang, I immediately assumed I had the wrong research assistant. Yeah. <laughs> and we were in a lot of trouble. Because in my circles, saying the Big Bang is true, Dems fighting words, you know. <laughs> that's, that's not possible. And the reason, of course, is, so as you say, it was started by an atheist insulting the idea of a beginning. Yes. But since then, science has embraced the term to define the beginning, right. but they use the Big Bang to explain, and I'm going to oversimplify, molecules and dust uh, at some point just getting uh, too hot and exploding and everything comes out of nothing, which is another violation of the laws of thermodynamics, which we won't get, get into today for the sake of it. Uh, but you're saying that we should actually go, thank you for, for pointing out there's a beginning. Yes. Even though they still try to figure it out without a God, and so they've got a different definition for the Big Bang, but we should be excited that scientists decided there was a Big Bang because it points to a beginning. It points to a beginning, and, um, and I, I just want to correct one little twist on that. Uh, uh, they don't believe that it was particles rubbing together. They actually take the Einstein's general uh, theory of relativity equations, and they go all the way back to the beginning of time, and, and they say, out of nothing came this entire universe. The, the scientists will tell you that. Out of nothing came this universe. And that's the violation of the laws of thermodynamics, correct? Uh, no. No. 
No, no, no. What happens when the, I go the off violation of, I'm not the, supposed the, to ask that question. You're not supposed to ask that question, but, the, but since you did, <laughs> I'll answer. The violation of, uh, the violation of, of uh, second law of thermodynamics was Einstein's original idea that the universe had existed forever. That was a violation of, of, of that. He should never have gone there. Right, but nothing, but, but, something can't come from nothing. Uh, in, unless there's a creator. There you go. Unless there's a creator who is beyond the natural laws of science. And so what is called the Big Bang Theory, if you look at the science, if you look what every scientist is telling you about that, that Big Bang Theory, uh, what they're telling you, they're talking to you about a creation event out of nothing. The equations, all the equations of the, of the laws of physics blow up at the creation event. They no longer exist. Out of nothing came everything that we see. And you wow. see that revealed in scriptures as well. Not, not, not that the, the Bible's not a science book, but you can reveal, you can see the truth of God in the scriptures that talk about how, the, how of nothing, everything that, we, that everything we see is, has been created. So I, I would encourage Christians to, to not shy away from the Big Bang, what's called the Big Bang Theory. Realize the term was a derogatory term, but even that physicist came around in the end. He had to acknowledge it. Um, so, uh, but anyway, so, but, but uh, back to this uh, uh, God of the gaps idea, now uh, Christians are looking at that Big Bang Theory and it's saying, well, gee whiz, there's a beginning and all the laws of physics blow up and all the laws of physics were created in that event. Uh, looks like a creator. So uh, that's, a, that's answering a why question. And so science responded, well, we got to know how. And so how are we going to explain this away? This is, again, fleeing from the idea of, uh, of a creator. And so they came up with what I call the yo-yo theory. And so as, as science's uh, idea of this Big Bang just got better and better and better and more and more uh, precisely defined, uh, people came up with the yo-yo theory, and they said, okay, well, we've we'll, we'll, we got to concede that the universe, yes, it's expanding. We've looked at uh, the data. The galaxies are all moving away. We see what Hubble has to say. Yeah, we agree. But, but we have an answer and our answer is, yeah, okay, the universe is expanding, but the gravity is going to pull it all back together. It's going to collapse like it did before. And even better, what's going to happen, it's going to explode again into creation, and then it's going to collapse again. And we just happen to be in one of those infinite number of cycles. That's what I call the yo-yo theory, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Now, it wasn't too long before scientists were able to disprove that idea. And the way they disproved it was they looked at the gravity, they looked at the mass of the universe, all the mass in the universe, even something called dark matter, added all that stuff up, and gravity is just not strong enough to pull the universe back together. Furthermore, we're seeing the universe not even slowing down, it's actually expanding in its speed. It's increasing its speed. So the yo-yo theory went away, and the finely tuned universe, as scientists got smarter about this universe and, the, and these equations of, uh, that uh, Einstein came up with, they began to see what's called a fine-tuned universe. The Big Bang was not just an explosion. It was a finely-tuned creative event. Not only did all the particles that we see uh, come into existence, the energy, space, and time came into existence, and the very laws that God uses to govern how the universe operates came into existence at that point. It was a very finely tuned creative event, and we'll get into little details on that in a moment here. But before we get there, this uh, finely tuned universe <laughs> troubled people because it pointed to a creator, and so they needed another escape valve. 
And uh, so what you'll hear about today is something called the multiverse. And, uh, Especially if you watch Marvel movies and Spider-Man because he has a multiverse where he's a pig. Where he's a pig. Okay. And so uh, a little bit about what's the multiverse. The multiverse uh, is looking at the idea that this universe is so finely tuned, and by that there's certain constants uh, that, that define the laws of physics, and these values, and there's numerous ones of them, are so precisely determined the value of them that if they weren't all that precise we wouldn't be here right not, none of us would be here and so they had to come up with an explanation of that and there's about four different variations of the multiverse theme but one of the popular ones in the movies and whatever is that well <clears throat> yeah okay so this universe is so so precisely defined uh, it must it must be uh, since it has to come about by random chance, we can't allow for a creator to do that. It must be by random chance. There must be an infinite number of universes, all of which have different values for their constants, and we just happen to be in the right universe where these values allowed us to come into existence. That so basically is the multiverse concept. By sheer luck, we get to be in the universe where Spider-Man's a human. That's right. I mean, that Spider-Man as a pig would be very upsetting. I think. There you go. So, so, so at any rate, now, now, um, fr from uh, from wh where is this multiverse going? Uh, right now, it's really in primarily in the mathematical realm. Uh, there's mathematical models trying to get a handle on this. Philosophical discussions. Um, I, I, we, there are scientists, Christians that are scientists that are following this, they're looking to see, you know, can there be any truth to this at all? So they're doing their homework, they're doing their job, they're checking it out. But at this point, uh, the multiverse concept uh, is really not testable. And if it's not testable, it's not science. And, right. and, and, it's, and to understand that, it's a little hard to test a universe that you're not in. So when you got all these infinite number of universes, I can't test them because I happen to be in this one. And th that makes it very hard. I'm not saying it's impossible. No one's figured it out right. just yet. Right. So that's kind of the multiverse. Yeah. So now we're going to go into a little bit more on the what do I mean by finely tuned universe? W yeah. What exactly are we saying on that? And um, so <clears throat> as I alluded to earlier, there are a number of, of constants that uh, exist in the physical laws that govern the, the universe. An example of that would be what's called a strong nuclear force. So if you remember your high school classes about the atom, you remember atoms got, at the middle of the atoms, there's protons and there's electrons that go around, around them. Those protons have positive charge. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, uh, positive charges repel each other. So what's keeping those protons together there? And it's something called the strong nuclear force that holds them together. <coughs> Excuse me. Actually, I was daydreaming in band class. <clears throat> you so were daydreaming. Well, I, I, I don't really remember that, but yeah, that's, okay. that's important. I'm learning <clears throat> it now. <clears throat> the reason it's so good that God was kind enough to uh, create that strong nuclear force for us was that if it were stronger, uh, there would be no hydrogen atoms. All the atoms that came in would all clump in together into the higher level atoms, the heavier atoms that are in your chemi chemistry uh, table. <clears throat> and if you didn't have any hydrogen atoms, you wouldn't have any sun. If you didn't have any sun, you wouldn't have any starlight. No time on the beach, no vacation time. But it's okay because there wouldn't be a beach. <laughs> That's right. Because there wouldn't be any water. 
because there's no hydrogen, and water's H2O. Right. So that's if it's too strong. If it's too weak, there'd be nothing but hydrogen, and you wouldn't have carbon, oxygen, and it's real tough to breathe without oxygen. So, so you wouldn't have us. No, you wouldn't have us. So it's a good thing that this force is the value that it is. So I could go on and talk to you about other uh, constants. There's lots of them, the charge on the electron, and et, right. et cetera. But um, I'll give you an example of how precisely tuned does it have to be. Gravitational constant, for example, which appears in Isaac Newton's equation, has a value. <clears throat> that, that value is defined precisely to one part in 10 to the 60th power. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? So <clears throat> up here, we're displaying a number. It's not the gravitational constant. It's just a number one. Uh, but uh, if, you, if you took one and went all the way out 60 decimal places to the right, and we put another one there on the, on the right side, what we're talking about is changing that one digit out there. The yellow number. If we just change the yellow is number. The yellow? OK, yellow. The one 50, on the right. 60 digits out. 60 digits out. You change that one to a three or four, five or whatever, or make it smaller. Uh, you're messing with the gravitational constant. If you make the value larger, um, gravity would have pulled the universe back together and crushed it a long time ago, long before we got here. If you made it smaller, uh, the universe would have expanded so rapidly that none of the galaxies or stars would have formed. We'd have no sun. So that's how precise gravity must be in order for you and I to exist. And, and to reiterate, this is just one, this is just one. of many constants. Like one. there's a whole list there's across a, the board several. that all have to be exactly this precise for us to be here. Or, or more precise in or some even more cases. Precise. And so <clears throat> what are so, so, scientists saying in light of this? Yeah, so, uh, and we don't have the time to go into all of those, uh, but uh, so I'm, I'm going to go give you some quotes about what some scientists who are not Christians, they're just scientists, what they have to say about this idea. Uh, this uh, this uh, uh, precision. <clears throat> this was written in 1995 by Professor Edward Harrison, a cosmologist or astrophysicist, and he's writing in the Quarterly Journal of the Royal Astronomical Society. So this is a big time document. This is not your local comic book. This is, right. this is big time stuff. And he's laying this out for all the world to see. He says, we do not know why natural qualities such as the strength of gravity, the speed of light, the electric charge on the electron, and so on, have the values they do. Yet the slightest variation of their values would result in a barren universe without stars or light. Why are they precisely adjusted to give rise to life? George Greenstein, in, in 1988, wrote in his book, The Symbiotic Universe. He's, he's another cosmologist, physicist. He writes, <clears throat> as we survey all the evidence, the thought insistently arises that some supernatural agency must be involved. Is it possible that suddenly, without intending to, we have stumbled upon scientific proof of the existence of a supreme being? Was it God who stepped in and so providentially crafted the cosmos? For our benefit. Right. For our benefit. This is not a guy reading from his Bible. He's reading from what the science text is telling him. So strong is this evidence. 
that it has an actual name to it. It's called the anthropic principle. All scientists recognize the appearance of design in the universe, these finely tuned constants. Atheist scientists will claim it's a delusion. Don't pay attention to it, that's just a delusion. Christians who are scientists will look at that, they, will be, they marvel at the, uh, the science, and they give glory to God. So we want to make sure everybody here <coughs> understands the appearance of design. When scientists look at the data, when they make their observations, it is so clearly pointing to that. It looks like it so much that the scientific community has given it a name. <coughs> Absolutely. There's a name, the anthropic principle. You can go and continue to do your research on it. And at that point, what that means <coughs> is that every scientist, as well as every seventh grade science student and every adult sitting in church, every person who says they won't go to church because it's dumb faith, we are <coughs> all responsible to look at the, the evidence, the appearance of a design, and decide, are we going to say that it's, it's delusional, it's totally delusional, or there is something behind this. So what Daryl and I wanted to do is give you kind of a, a middle school level illustration, if we could, of just what we've been talking about, the finely tuned and the astronomical odds of such a thing coming to be. And so uh, let's say that we wanted to have something as finely tuned mechanism as, as this watch right here, which by the way, this doesn't hold a candle to the complexity of the universe, does it? Not, not even close. Not even close. Okay, so the first thing we, we have is we're, we're going to have different elements, and I, I robbed my daughter's rock collection this morning on the way out the house, and I hope she doesn't blame her brother before I get home and set him free. But, uh, you know, here, here's the point is what has to happen along the way is these elements somehow have to choose on their own that, um, yeah, green, green, whatever it is, isn't going to work with that. <coughs> And it has to opt out, and, and the black has to opt out. But, you know, some of this glass-looking stuff, we're going to need some glass stuff, and we're going to need some silver stuff, and you can't see it from there, but there's actually some little blue accents. So the blue rock gets to stay, and the pink one has to go, and the quartz can stay. And, and somehow, like you said, hydrogen had to be so perfect that if instead of hydrogen opting in, if radon had opted in, we wouldn't there would be no life, right? So thank God that the green rock went away and the blue rock stayed. And so then the idea is that somehow all the right things of their own volition or some crazy chance comes together and, and we end up with this. Well, there, there's something missing in between. Uh, not only do we have to have the right things get involved, but they have to actually become uh, parts. And uh, so what we did is we took a watch and destroyed it, and just, just for you guys here. And, and so we have all of the parts here, which in a moment, Daryl and I are going to address an actual part and talk about just the complexity, because in all honesty, uh, to just shake these up until you get this, well, that alone, I mean, that, that's crazy. Uh, but the idea of taking all of these parts, and if we were to put them together, the idea that if we do this long enough, by chance, all of the right things are going to opt in, and at some point, not only are we going to have parts like water, hydrogen oxygen going to make water, and in another case, we're going to have the sun, and I'm not going to try to say what's in that, because I've already gotten in trouble with one question today. And uh, then we've got planets, and so we've got all these different parts, and somehow we're going to end up with this finely tuned result. And uh, so I just want to say this, anybody who actually thinks that we can just by chance put these together and eventually get this... I'm going to invite you to stay and not go to lunch until this becomes a finely tuned watch. I'm getting hungry. 
we're going to need to let one of them do it because I don't believe in it. I, I don't think it can happen. So, so here's what happens is somehow by incredible chance we get this finely tuned mechanism. Yes, and, and the watch also tells time correctly. Which is the real kicker. Yes. And, and we're going to go back to biology for just a moment and we're going to pretend this is us. So not only did all of our parts by chance come together, but there's awareness. There, there, there's awareness in the biological world, uh, and this is an example of the whole being greater than the sum of the parts. And we'll talk about that with an illustration here. <clears throat> in, the, in the world of DNA, we see this very clearly. Um, I'm gonna, I got two books here. They're, they appear identical. Um, this book is written by uh, John Lennox, a, a, a mathematician and uh, Christian apologist. Um, called Seven Days to Divide the World. Uh, but suppose I had a second book that was uh, identical, weighed exactly the same amount, had the same number of pages in it, was made out of the same kind of paper, same kind of glue, same kind of ink, everything was identical. Uh, except the only difference is that this is the book that Lennox wrote, and this book has all the very same letters that are in this book, but they're all scrambled up. Okay, so if I were to look at this and analyze this, uh, I could weigh it in the scales, I could analyze it with uh, 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 chemically, uh, any way I wanted to examine it, I would find that the two are identical, identical, except that there's something different. All my materialistic measurements says identical, but there's something different. And what is it that's different? What's different is there's information in this first book. There's information in the book that Lennox wrote. The book that has the letters all randomly scrambled has no information in it, none. Identical in every way, but there's something different. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Now, why is this important? The reason this is important is because we're getting back to the DNA code. Which is one of our parts, <clears throat> so to speak. Which is one of the parts that we all have throughout our bodies, through animals' bodies, through plant bodies. Every living thing has DNA. And uh, Bill Gates, the co-founder of Microsoft, uh, uh, commented on uh, DNA and, he, and the code of DNA, because it is a code, and he described it as the most intricate and complex code that he had ever seen, and it was far beyond anything that man had ever conceived of, <laughs> conceived of, wow. and what it was able to do. And so... Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, so w when, you, when you look at that, uh, when you go back to this book analogy here, this book has the information in it. It took an author to put information in the book. Without an author, you get random nonsense. A computer program has computer to have... Programmer, program has to have a computer programmer. A newspaper article has to have a journalist, all to put information into right. their product. DNA has information in it. Where did it come from? Yeah. There, there had to be an intelligent designer. I'm speaking strictly from a scientific standpoint. There had to be an intelligent agent to put the information into the DNA. Science has no explanation uh, for how DNA came about. They have no explanation for even how a cell came about, for that matter. But that's, it, that's what it points to. It is, again, another area that points to a creator. And science has no explanation for how the parts end up with awareness. None. 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 
So here, here's where we are as we close today. We've got scientists agreeing there's the appearance of design so much that they've named it. We've got uh, science agreeing there is a beginning so much that they've named it. Uh, we've got scientists saying that everything came out of nothing. Uh, I mean, we've got all of these things which yeah. the Bible seems to explain. Yes. And yet, some aren't ready to go there. Why is that? Yeah, so um, uh, again, uh, par par part of it is the nature of, of the scientists and trying to answer the how question and, and, and uh, Christian answer, Christianity answers the why question. But there's two more fundamental pieces to that, to that answer to that question. And I'm going to answer it with a quote from agnostic Paul Davies, who is a physicist. And he wrote in a book, The Fifth Miracle, The Search for the Origin and Meaning of Life. This is what he wrote. When I set out to write this book, I was convinced that science was close to wrapping up the mystery of life's origins. Having spent a year or two researching the field, I am now of the opinion that there remains a huge gulf in our understanding. This gulf in understanding is not merely ignorance about certain technical details. It is a major conceptual lacuna, which is his big word for it's a big gap. Many investigators feel uneasy about stating in public that the origin of life is a mystery, even though behind closed doors they freely admit they are baffled. And we talked about examples of that. I gave quotes last week in the biology area. There seems to be two reasons for their unease. First, they feel it opens the door to the religious fundamentalists and their God-of-the-gap pseudo-explanations. Now remember, Davies is an unbeliever. Uh, but this is what this is, they're reacting to this God of the gaps idea. We just haven't figured it out yet. Give it us a little longer. We'll figure it out. We don't want, we don't want to be in, entertaining that idea of a creator, no matter how obvious it is. The second reason is they worry, continuing with the, with the uh, quote here, second, they worry that a frank admission of ignorance will undermine funding. Right. Research dollars come from various places. If you, want to ha if you want to get research dollars, then you better have the right answer. And we see that in evolutionary biology research, you see it in astrophysics, and you see it even in the climate change area. Right. So as we close today, uh, Daryl and I have had a conversation about a topic multiple times. We wanted to make sure that you guys didn't miss this point. And that is that in order to get into heaven, you do not need to pass a science exam. Can I get an amen from somebody on that amen. one, right? What that means is you don't really have to understand a word of what we've talked about in these two parts. It means that you can have some contradictory beliefs. You, you, can, you can have some things that don't make sense in your thinking. That is not what earns your place in being right with God. That comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The reason we've done this and believe it's so important is because not that some people have lost their interest to heaven over not being able to answer a science question, but some people have walked away from their faith because they believe their atheistic science teacher had evidence they didn't have. And what we've been able to do in these two weeks is show you overwhelmingly how you can believe the Bible in biology, in astrophysics, in all areas of science. There, there is nothing in science that has taken the Bible out of the game. And uh, as we've done this talk, we've had a few people say, I really thought you guys were going to tell us just how old the earth is. And we're not doing that. We're not here to do that. For one, 
because that's a debate that doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It, it matters. But here's why I say it, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, because it turns out that Christians fight with each other more over the age of the earth than we do with scientists about, the truth is scientists agree on the age of the earth. They do. And it's Christians that kind of get into this fight. And so as you decide how you're going to look at the first two chapters of Genesis, as you decide how, you, what, how old the earth is, uh, and you're going to look at that and get your viewpoint, I want you first of all to know that, that there's a lot of research you can continue to do. There, there's a lot that you can look at and, and make a decision that you can sleep with at night. And I'm, I'm just going to kind of wrap up by giving you the, the, the big pieces in a nutshell. There's the ideas of godless evolution. And some people just land there because they don't have a God in their life, so they adopt a theory that has no God in the theory, such as Darwinian evolution, the Big Bang, as scientists define it, and so forth, and they're good because they don't believe in God anyway. And then there are some of us that go to science class, we hear that, we believe in God on Sunday, so we figure we've got to just put the two together somehow, and they call it theistic evolution. Now, I really oversimplified that, Daryl, and you know that, because the truth is theistic evolution is wide, the way that people put those two together. But what we hope you've seen here in these two weeks is we want to encourage you not to land in the place of a godless evolution or evolution with God as a Band-Aid. We want to encourage you to cross the line into one of the views of creationism, because science biologically and, and physics and every other way seems to point to a, a beginning which has a beginner, creation which has a creator. Our scripture overwhelmingly de determines that there's a, a creator there. And the point to that is there are multiple views of creation. There's the young earth view, and those are the folks that read the first two chapters of Genesis as though they are literal 24-hour days uh, and so they see the earth as being about 10,000 years old. Uh, in their defense, they are people who simply look at it and say, hey, it's a miracle. The Bible is full of miracles. It's a miracle. The earth looks old. God created it to look old. It's a miracle. I sleep well at night. And that's okay if that's where their faith is. But as you've pointed out, that may work well for a lot of people in a lot of careers. It's a little tougher if someone is wanting to be a physicist or a biologist. Yes. As a result, you're not a young earth creationist. You're in a different camp. Why don't you tell us where you land and why? Yeah, I, I'm in the old earth creation camp. And um, um, I, I find that as I've studied it, uh, and I've studied this topic for off and on for decades, um, it, it just it gives me joy to, to see what science is doing and pointing to God. But the other big reason I do it is because there are people out there, there are Christians out there that are in the scientific world that are struggling with their faith. And if we can show them that science is not in conflict, if we can show them the kind of things that we talked about the last two weeks, it helps them in their faith. And then there are others who are atheists themselves. And so it's easier for me to talk to them in, the, in their own language. It's easier for me to talk to them in what you call the, the old earth uh, uh, science uh, because they can relate to that quickly and I, and I have a better ground upon which to uh, tell them about the gospel. And so old earth creationists believe that God is the creator of the universe. God made mankind in his image. They simply Absolutely. believe that the, the days were not literal 24-hour periods. Correct. And, you know, when we started this, I told you up front, I, I was young earth. Uh, you've messed with me a little bit with your research you brought out. I'll just go ahead and admit you've made me, uh, challenged me a little bit. 
um, and you said you were old earth, and I was curious if we would be able to do this together, if it would really cause conflict, and the truth is it hasn't. We've had great dialogue, we've, we've learned how to respect each other in that position, and the reason we didn't get into teaching that debate is because this is what we wanted them to see, right. is that you can land in either position and believe that science supports what you read in Scripture and, and has overwhelming evidence for a creator and a creation event. Yes. And that's where we wanted to, to leave people in. And anybody that wants to debate the difference between thousands or billions of years, that's, that's for another day. So what we want to do as we end today, is I want to share with you one last scripture. It's out of Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And uh, this is what God has to say about the world around us. He says that his invisible attributes, namely his incredible eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. God is saying, look, as you look around, you should see me. You should see evidence from me. We should not be surprised that scientists have come up with the anthropic principle. They are fulfilling Romans 1.20. And he goes on to say, so therefore, mankind is without excuse. Right. And the sad part are going to be those people who get to a point where they stand before God and their answer is, well, I did see you. I saw the anthropic principle. I just called it a delusion. And that's the reason we're doing this series is because... In theology class, we call Romans 1.20 general revelation. Anybody should be able to walk out and look at the world and go, wow, this is no accident. The human eye and so forth, the, the examples just keep going. The problem is, you don't know who that God is. And, and so then we have to have special revelation, and that is where God revealed himself in Scripture. The reason we're doing this series on the Bible, and although we're approaching it from science and history and other things, is because what we're really wanting to do is make sure you never lose your God, because this tells you who he is. You can walk out and see the world and realize there is something or someone there. There's an intelligent, creative agent, but you can't know from a sunset that he is personally involved in his creation. Absolutely. You can't know from a sunset that he loves his creation so much that he knows you by name, that he sent his son to die for you. That's why this series is so important is because this is what we can't lose. Because this is all we have telling us who he is. And if science were to prove this to not be true, and Romans 1.20 would back that up because when you look scientifically at the world, we'd be in trouble. But what we know is even in 2020, with the greatest scientific advances we've seen, it only continues to point more yes. to a creator. Absolutely. And with that said, <clears throat> let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much that you are a good God who does want to be involved in the lives of your creation. We thank you that you are close, that you are personal, that you speak to each of us that you're not just some great agent behind the cosmos. God, we thank you that you put us here and you gave us the ability to recognize you for who you are. God, my prayer for every person in this room today, watching wherever they are, is that you will increase their faith with boldness 
that they will know when they get into a scientific conversation, historical conversation, or they're watching something, even if they know they don't personally at that moment have all the facts, they need to know that there are facts out there. God, I pray you'll give us boldness to embrace our faith and knowing that it does not make us dumb to do so, that we can be incredibly intelligent without checking our faith, that we can have faith without checking our brains at the door. And so I want to finally give an opportunity today for those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king, especially if the reason for that is that you believe there was a great divide between being an intelligent person making their way in this world and someone who has dumb faith. We hope that you can see now that that is simply one of the further deceptions of the enemy to keep you from a loving God. Because the God that made us, the God that put us here, the God that finally tuned everything to give us days on the beach also loved you enough that when you were separated by unholiness that he sent his son to live a perfect life so that when he died, his blood would pay for your sins. And by the same power that spoke and out of nothing came everything, he raised his son from the dead to show that he too can raise you to eternal life. If you've never embraced this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life we call salvation, I wanna help you do that right now wherever you are. Simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.